Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. Last Tuesday, September 6th, the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, flew up to Balmoral to keep an appointment with Her Majesty, Queen Elizabeth II. At that meeting, the new Prime Minister was asked by the Queen to form a government. Little did those present realize the historic significance of that occasion. For within two days, really only a matter of hours, the Queen would die. And the nation and millions around the world would be plunged into mourning and face uncertainty as far as the future is concerned. And one sees a somewhat similar scene here in John 13. Now, John 13 through to John 17 forms what has long been known as the upper room discourse of our Lord. It begins with with the Passover and concludes with Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17. It includes the departure of Judas from the room where the Last Supper was held and set in motion the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion of Christ. It includes our Lord's own announcement regarding His coming departure. It includes Jesus' announcement to Peter of his forthcoming betrayal. This upper room discourse also contains one of the most exclusive and to some one of the most offensive and most objectionable sayings of Jesus. I refer you to the words in chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What words of conviction, and yet what words demanding faith, Because Jesus says, I am the way. And yet in a matter of hours of saying those things, Jesus would be hanging upon a cross. I am the truth. In still less time, he would be charged with blasphemy. I am the life. And yet the next afternoon, his corpse would be placed in a tomb. like the British Prime Minister standing in the presence of Her Majesty, little realizing 
the Queen's departure was at hand. And so the future, now uncertain, and people's hearts troubled. Jesus depicts the same scene here. Because Jesus speaks to those of troubled hearts. And he says to them, do not let your heart be troubled. So what comfort, what counsel, what, what challenge is before us this morning as we look at this portion of Scripture? Well, my outline is very, very basic and very simple this morning. My three points that I want to make are simply these. Troubled hearts. That takes us from chapter 13, verse 33, to chapter 4 and verse 1. Telling words, and that's simply verse 6 of chapter 14. And then timeless joy, which takes us to verses 2 and 3 of chapter 14. Troubled hearts, telling words, timeless joy. Troubled hearts. Those words of John 14.1 direct us back into chapter 13 and to the events recorded there. Because you see, the trouble that Jesus speaks of, refers to, arose from at least two things. First, departure. Departure. This is recorded in verse 33 of chapter 13, where Jesus says, Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. And this news, this information, struck turmoil and terror and brought anxiety and fear to the hearts of those listening. How could these followers not follow? How could these disciples be disciples without a master? How could these men and women go on living without this one they have been following so closely for these last three years? Even though they might survive the increased hostility of the surrounding forces, to have to go on living without Him seemed unbearable to them. And you get a little glimpse of, of that emotion that's caught up here. If you remember those walking that road to Emmaus, John and Luke 24, as Jesus drew near to them and spoke with them, they opened their hearts. They didn't recognize who it was, of course. But they expressed their deep grief and sadness and sorrow by saying, we, we, we had hoped that he had been Messiah, but he's dead. Hopes dashed, no future, nothing to live for. The news of Jesus' departure 
fills his followers with fear and horror and anxiety. They were now experiencing, in the words of D.A. Carson, substantial emotional pressure and on the brink of catastrophic failure. Departure for fear of what tomorrow might bring. But then this trouble that Jesus speaks of refers not only to departure, but it has a personal application as well, illustrated by the word denial. Denial. Peter's denial is announced. You get that in chapter 13, verses 37 and 38. And what a shock this, this news was for, for Peter. And here we see again Peter, Mr. Motormouth, as he has been described. Here we see him again in all of his ignorance and his arrogance. Because his response is this, Why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. But Jesus knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. Boasting would turn to betrayal. Peter's heart is troubled by the revelation of coming failure, his failure. His failure to remain faithful. Failure despite his belief in himself. For Peter is yet to recognize, as Jeremiah the prophet put it, that the heart of man, yours and mine, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Troubled hearts. The disciples, anxious, troubled about the future. Peter, anxious and troubled about coming failure. And so what of us? What of us? We are living, as has been clearly set forth in the prayers this morning, we are living in a world of increasing godlessness and unrighteousness. God is not simply ignored. He's insulted. The world takes no heed to the, the warnings of the Almighty Signals, as it were, of disaster, the droughts, the floods, the summer that's become winter, the winter that's become summer. God's face is not sought, because you see, everything will be okay. We've got the specialists. We've got the technology. You know, all we have to do is listen to the experts. We can fix it. We don't need a god or gods. And yet I wonder this morning, 
Is your heart troubled about the future? The future for your children? The future for your children's children? And then my dear Christian brother and sister, are we troubled about our failures in faithfulness? Because surely our propensity to sin does cause us concern. And maybe we thought by, by uh, you know, walking the Christian way, by living the Christian life, by, by reading our Bible, by praying, by going to church and so forth, that, that you know, we, we would become better. We would, we would get better and, and, and God would be more pleased with us each, each day. But instead, as we have walked the pilgrim pathway, we don't seem to be getting any better. In fact, we seem to be getting worse. Hidden sins are now more obvious to us. In that glorious hymn of John Newton, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. Because is it not true, my friends, that we feel him day after day? We, we break our own promises and pledges. You know, we, we cannot even live up to our own standards. We fail to do what we have intended to do. And so at times, surely we, we get that sense, that feeling, that thought that, you know, we would not be at all surprised if our holy God cast us off and cut us free to go our own way. Troubled hearts because of the future. Troubled hearts because of our failure. And yet what does the Lord say here? Don't let your heart be troubled. Now notice this. Notice, notice the way it's framed here. Do not let your heart be troubled. This means that there is something we can and must do about our heart's condition. And what is that? Well, the text goes on to say, the verse goes on to say, Jesus goes on to say, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And what does that look like? It looks like the disciples on that occasion when they were on the lake in that boat being swamped and in danger of drowning and Jesus is asleep and so with fear and anxious hearts they woke him up saying master master we're going to die and so he got up rebuked the wind and the raging waves and then he said to them, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? 
Why are you not imploring that faith? Why are you not taking hold of that faith and using it in this situation? And that's what Jesus is saying here in John 14.1. Oh, troubled in heart, where is your faith? He calls upon us to believe because the Christian life is one of constant, continual believing. And believing what? In God and in me. God incarnate. So why, why should believing in Him bring calm to troubled hearts? Well, surely because of who He is and what He has done. And so from troubled hearts, we turn to telling words. You see, Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Okay, but what is it that we're to believe? What kind of faith shakes fear and establishes futures? Jesus says to them, here is what you need to hear and believe and trust in. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That great I am saying of verse 6. To quote Dr. Stephen Alford, I am the way in order that men might be saved. I am the truth in order that men might be sure. I am the life in order that men might be strong. Well, the old words that probably some of you know of Thomas Kempis, without the way there is no going, without the truth there is no knowing, and without the life there is no living. But how do these great claims of Christ confront our troubles concerning our future and our failures? In other words, how does belief impact behavior? Well, allow me, allow me to approach this great I am saying in this way. I want to link three, these three statements that Jesus makes here, these three statements, with three solas of the Reformation. Let me explain. Here's what Jesus says, his first statement. I am the way. That is, salvation is by grace alone. You see, no believer, however devoted, merits his or her salvation or lives good enough lives to earn God's favor and eternal life. So Peter, here in John 13, exemplifies and represents every Christian. For we have all betrayed our Lord. We have all suffered a thousand falls and failings. We are always overestimating ourselves and underestimating our sin. 
It says, fascinating in that 13th chapter to look at two of the major figures there, Peter and Judas. What was the difference between Peter and Judas? Well, it wasn't that one man was a sinner and the other was not. No, no, the only difference is this. Peter obtained grace. A debtor to mercy alone. I am the way. And as Jesus declares in verse 3 of that 14th chapter, I go to prepare a place for you. And where was that? Calvary. You know, don't, don't get in your mind there when you read that portion of the little picture that Jesus is up in heaven kind of thing with a hammer and chisel in his hands causing out and making a little shelter for you. No, no, no. He was thinking about Calvary. That's where he prepared a place for us. For by the doing and dying of Jesus, we may come to the Father. Christ Jesus is not merely a spiritual guide who came to show us the way to the Father. He himself is the way to the Father. And he is full of grace and truth. Augustus Toplady in his hymn put it this way, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. But then Jesus went on and he makes the second statement. I am the truth. And that is salvation is by faith alone. Faith in the incarnate word of God. You see, how did Paul write concerning the Christians of Thessalonia? Let me quote you 2 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul wrote, But we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and through belief of the truth, through belief of the truth. And what did Jesus declare in his high priestly prayer in John 17? Thy word is truth. And what did the apostle write? Faith comes from hearing that word. That word preached in the power of the Spirit so the men and women would hear the voice of Christ, who is truth. You see, that, 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 that text in Romans can be uh, understood in a variety of ways. It can be taken in this way. That what is heard is the word about Christ, who is the truth. Thus Christ, who is truth, is the content of the word, and thus the source of our faith, and the object of our faith. And then again, it can be taken this way. That Christ, who is truth personified, is the one who speaks the word of truth. Because remember in another I am saying, he said that he was the good shepherd and salvation or his sheep 
hear the shepherd's voice. But whatever be the case, whatever we see is an unbreakable relationship between truth and faith. I am the truth, the message and the messenger and the minister of faith. Salvation by faith alone therefore causes us to, to confess with Horatius Bonner, upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I rest my whole eternity. I am the way. Salvation is by grace alone. I am the truth. Salvation is through faith alone. And thirdly, I am the life. Salvation is by Christ alone. B.B. Warfield put it this way, and I quote, It is not faith that saves but faith in Christ Jesus. And it is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ Jesus that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith, or the attitude of faith, or the nature of faith, but in the object. Of faith, Christ alone. And so here you see is the exclusivity of Jesus. You can't, you can't escape it because he goes on to say that he therefore is the only way to the Father. There is no other mediator. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which they must be saved. There's no other man, there is no other message, there is no other religion or philosophy that can bring men to God. Only Christ, the Son of God, can do that. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, it's Spruill once pointed out, that the notion that all religions are valid is logically impossible. Because if all religions are valid, he says, then Christianity is valid. But Jesus said that he is the only way to God, which eliminates all other ways. So either Jesus was right, or he was wrong. If he was wrong, then Christianity has no validity at all. If he was right, then there is no other way. You see, some people say, well, but Jesus, Jesus was, a, was a great teacher. You need to follow him. He was a great teacher. But if you don't believe this, he wasn't a great teacher, he was a liar. 
And he is not worth listening to. There is no other way. So what did Jesus say to Peter? And if I may say, Peter's clan. Let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. My dear fellow believers, our frequent falls and failings ought to concern us. But know this, they are designed to sanctify us, to drive us to Christ, to see more of the riches of our salvation. Because our failings and our faults can never deprive us of our eternal status. I've been giving you a few quotes this morning, pardon me, but let me add another, another hymn. What was it we, I'm sure you sing? My sin, my sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Our salvation is a full salvation. Our salvation is safe and secure because it is salvation by Christ alone. We are complete in him, and he will take us safe home. But what of tomorrow? What might it bring to us? What about hearts that are troubled by the future? By this world which is a very dark and depraved and dangerous place. Well, from troubled hearts and telling words, let me finish with this. Timeless joy. How does Jesus minister to these faithful saints, those heart-troubled followers? He speaks of the Father's house. He speaks of a blessed hope. And he speaks of endless happiness. The Father's house, verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. You know, some of us of an age, some of you here this morning of the same generation as myself, will remember probably a little chorus, a little song we used to sing. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Well, that's not really the picture that John presents here. This word for father's house is not so much a picture of a mansion it's a word that speaks of a permanent place and a, yes, a palatial or spacious place. It signifies that there will be room enough in heaven for all the Father's adopted children. Not one of his children will be left out in the cold. 
not one of his children will be left out in the dark. There'll be room enough for all of his family. And furthermore, it's permanent. You know, today we live, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we, we, we live in this tent of this body, and this world, in a sense, lives in a tent. It's, it's all temporary. You know, some of us are feeling the decay and the aches and pains that come because our tents are getting a wee bit old and weary and battered and bruised. But the Scripture assures us that the perishable will be swallowed up by life. Never fading life, never changing life, never decaying life. And Jesus comforts these troubled hearts by assuring them that, that the heaven He has opened for them is my Father's house, my Father's home, and He is waiting to welcome them there and to love them endlessly for all eternity. And so, my dear friend, if your heart is troubled, your mind is anxious, orientate your life to eternity, not time. Like Abraham, look forward to that city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Keep before your eyes each day, you know, just what we were singing, we're going home. We're going to the Father's house. And use the words of an old Irish song, and there's a welcome there for you. The Father's house, a blessed house, but also a blessed hope. Because Jesus goes on to say, I will come again and take you to myself. And here, here is why he hung upon that tree. So that he would then come and take us to himself. That, my friends, that's, that was his whole mission. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, his high priestly intercession, everything is aimed to this point, his personal, visible, glorious return, when he will take us to be with him. The words of 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, the most glorious words, we will always be with the Lord. Always with the Lord. And so endless happiness. We will always be with the Lord. For the Lord himself said, according to John 14, 3, I will come again and take you to myself, 
so that where I am, you may be also. Here's our future. Here is what awaits the people of God, even those with troubled hearts. To live daily in the presence of our Savior and Lord and God and the great I Am. And as the 16th Psalm reminded us, that in His presence is fullness of joy. No more doubt. No more fear, no more error, no more regret. All such things gone forever. And we shall see the King in His unveiled splendor and glory. The goal of Golgotha, the purpose of His passion, to have a people who joyfully delight in Him. And Him joyfully delighting in us. That's eternity, my friend. So let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. And I wonder if that's you this morning. Like these disciples, fearful of the future. And yet the reality is, we are facing a future that is just out of this world. Or maybe like Peter, troubled because of your sense of sin, oh beloved, learn the fullness of salvation. Trust in Christ and Christ alone. And as the old Puritan would say, for every one look at yourself, ten looks at Jesus. Focus upon him, the author and finisher of our faith. Maybe you're not troubled about the future. Maybe you're not troubled about your failures. Maybe you're still more like Judas. You're here this morning, but it's this world that's your home. Your heart is just fixed on the here and the now. You know, your own home has more interest to you than the Father's home. Your house takes your time. You give no time to thinking about the Father's house. My message to you this morning, my friend, is this. Flee. Flee from the wrath to come. And find Christ, the rock of ages, the Savior of sinners. Turn from your wicked way and believe in him. And learn that Jesus alone is the way to the Father. And Jesus alone is the truth about the Father. And Jesus alone is the life from the Father. I began the message with reference to Her Majesty the Queen. So allow me to finish with a further reference to her. For I'm thinking of our Father's house and the timeless joy that awaits us. 
for in Christmas 1957, at her Christmas address, she included the following words from John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It's about Mr. Valiant, the truth. Now they're quaint words. It's old English, but it's a picture of one who, who has fought the good fight, who bears the scars of battle and the Christian walk and the Christian life, and he's, he's about to pass over, that is to, to die. He's about to enter the Father's house. This is what the quote the Queen gave that Christmas. Mr. Valiant for truth. Then he said, I'm going to my father's house. And though with great difficulty I am got hither, yet now I do not repent me of all the troubles I have been at to arrive where I am. My sword I give to him that shall succeed me in my pilgrimage and my courage and skill to him that can get it. My marks and scars I carry with me to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles, who now will be my rewarder. And then I finish with this. So he passed over, and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. He passed over, and all the trumpets sounded for him on the other side. And I, for one, am sure that last Thursday, if you excuse my language, when she passed over, all the trumpets sounded for her on the other side. When our sovereign cast her crowns before him who is the sovereign of all sovereigns. Oh, my friends, one day we will all pass over. But to where? To where? Jesus said, I and I alone am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me to come. And welcome to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, write your word upon our hearts, we ask of you. Comfort those who are troubled in heart about the future. Grant us, our Father, the comfort of the gospel as we wrestle, fight, and pray. And give to us, our Father, a real deep sense of that blessed hope that we may recognize day by day we are going home and there's a welcome waiting us. Our Father, to live 